at the heart, right, of Christianity is the fact that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, right? That's what it's all about. God so loved the world. He saw the brokenness in this world. He saw the effects of people being separated from God. And so he sent Jesus Christ in this world to, because he loved the world and he wanted to restore the world. And so here we are, right, in 2017, and, and we're in the middle of this world. And the brokenness that Sally just shared in Swaziland, the brokenness in Honduras, the, all of the pain and suffering that's happening down in Houston, and then obviously with the events that took place Monday in Las Vegas. This is a really, really broken world. And um, I just want to let you know, as soon as the events took place on, uh, down in Vegas, I called uh, some of my pastor friends that, that I know who were down there and just said, hey, is there anything that we can do? And, um, and I was just so encouraged by them, especially one of my friends, Vince Antonucci, at Verve Church, and immediately, right, they had, they had a prayer and worship night that night, and they had standing room only in their church, and 5,000 people watched it. Why? Because when stuff like this happens, you need hope. You need peace. You need comfort. Everyone in their church knows somebody who was at that event. In fact, I just want to ask, how many of you actually know somebody who was down there at the concert? I mean, look at that. Look how many hands. It's crazy. And so um, they actually, one of the police officers that busted through the door goes to his church. I mean, they are living in the midst of this. So they've started support groups. The Billy Graham Evangelistic Association actually called them because their church is the closest one to the city. So it's the closest one to the, where the event actually took place. So their, Billy Graham's play, uh, ministry has a big semi down there now with its supplies. And, and so, um, so then, Vince, I just said, man, is there anything else we can do? <laughs> We're praying for you guys, but is there anything that we can do? And so what they've decided is just people, there's so many people hurting that they said, what an incredible opportunity for us to let people know there's hope. <laughs> In this world that's so broken, that you can actually find peace and strength in Christ. And so they're doing a major outreach down there in Vegas. The, the kind of the phrase right now is Vegas strong, and they're just taking that phrase and they're going to envelop that and invite people into, into uh, the Verve uh, uh, church with an opportunity to hear the truth that God is here for these moments. So I'm excited just to let you know we had some resources, we pumped it down to them to be able to help support their efforts down there too. And, and I just want to say thank you, because so, you, you guys need to hear this. Your faithfulness financially, your faithfulness to give back to God what he's given you, a portion of that, is what allows us to do all this stuff. You guys know that? <laughs> like, do you know, like, none of this stuff, to, 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 to all these kids who have meals every day and, and clean water in Swaziland and all the kids down in Honduras and, and the move that we're being able to do in Houston and all this, the only reason we're able to do that is because you are faithful to take what God gave you. This is why God loves to do this. He goes, listen, I'm going to resource you. Because you guys know we have all the resource we need to take care of every ill in the world. Did you guys know that? Just the Christian church does. And so I just want to say thank you to every one of you. Your financial faithfulness is what allows us to do the ministry that we're doing. All right? So we're going to go ahead and we're going to, our group is going to come forward. And um, I'm just going to pray uh, for, for the situation there and for Verve and for the ministry of God. And then when that's done, we're going to take our offering again, just our chance to be faithful. So you guys can hold on. We'll take the offering right when I get done praying. Father, thank you so much for loving the world. Thank you for loving each one of us in our brokenness, in our pain, in our own suffering. God, we just here's what we know. You care 
intimately about everyone on this planet. And we just want to say thank you for the hope that we have of heaven. The hope that we have because Jesus Christ has helped us to know there is an eternal life that's far greater than anything you're experiencing down here. And I want you to be there with me where there is no more pain, no more suffering, no more sorrow. And so, Lord, thank you for your presence now. We don't have to wait to get to heaven to know you now. And so I pray right now for all the churches, I'm sure, this Monday, this uh, Sunday morning, who are, are gathering together in the number of people who've entered into church who may, in Vegas who haven't been there maybe in a long time, would you just anoint every service with your presence and may you let people know you are here to save and to be strength and comfort and peace. We thank you that the gospel is a gospel of peace, that we get peace with you and then we can have peace with each other. Lord, I pray for Verve specifically. Thanks for Vince. Thanks for his leadership. And we just pray that you'll bless them in their effort to minister this grace uh, tangibly through all the efforts that they're doing physically, but also the great message that they're going to share. And we ask for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Go ahead. You guys can, you can take that offering up. So um, as Sally said, we're, we're concluding our series here, Stand Out. Again, if you're, just, if you're jumping in here and you don't know what we're doing, uh, it came from a single verse in, in the book of First Chronicles in the Old Testament where there's just name after name after name in genealogies, and then there's one family that stood out, the sons of Asher. And uh, so we've been looking at why did the Scripture reveal these four characteristics of the sons of Asher. Four week, uh, when we started the series, and you guys can, anytime you want, again, you can go back and watch our messages. They're all on our website. You can get our podcast and listen to them. But they were heads of families, they were choice men, and they were brave warriors, and then today, what we're going to look at, the fourth quality, is they were outstanding leaders. And, um, and I, I just want to say, I, actually, I was sitting there just before I was going to get up here, and I just thought, here's what's cool, you guys. Here's the other thing that's true. Nothing that we're doing in Honduras, nothing that we're doing in Swaziland, or all the effort in, in Houston that we're going to jump into, or the stuff that's going on in Verb, none of that happens without somebody what? Leading it. <laughs> Like, right? We need to go. We need to find leaders and we need to say, who's going to do something about this? Who's going to gather the people or who has a vision to make a difference in their life? We need leaders. And so here we go. The scripture says, our job is to be outstanding leaders. And for some reason, God says, I'm going to take that principle and I'm going to lift it up in the scripture. It's so important that we understand to do that. And as Susie and I jump into today's thing, what we're talking about is we are supposed to be creating leaders. If you're an outstanding leader, then you lead your kids so that they'll lead others, right? You lead them so that they'll lead others. Because really, the Hebrew phrase, this is coming from the Old Testament, right, which is the book of, uh, book of Hebrews. It's the language <laughs> of Hebrew, and it's oh, the Hebrew language is a beautiful language. Sorry. Is this thing slipping? Okay. Uh, it's a beautiful language, but it's very picturesque. And it, it, the, the actual word means heads of families. Mm -mm. No. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm distracted. <laughs> heads of princes. Okay. <laughs> Outstanding leaders is, means you're a head of princes. Isn't that cool? Like, so we hear terms leadership a lot in our culture, outstanding leaders. When I think of outstanding leaders, I think of a certain thing. But as soon as David shared with me that the Hebrew means heads of princes, that just did something different in my heart. 
And really, truly, the best leaders I know are the people who see the glory in <coughs> others around them and call it out and see the people that they're leading. The best parents I know are the people who see the kids that they're raising as princes, queens and kings, princesses. Um, really, there's glory in every person. And as parents and as leaders, we're the ones Jesus is inviting to call that out and to bless it and to just fan that into flame. Yeah, that's our job. And here's and, and why. Because, we'll get to this in a minute, because Jesus looks at every one of you, every one of you, every one of your kids, mm -hmm. every person you're leading, if you don't have kids, he looks at them and he knows there's royalty in them. He knows there's greatness in every person and he wants to pull it out, which is so cool. So, that, so we're going to look at Jesus, right? Because if there was a greater leader, there hasn't been a greater leader <laughs> through all of history. And, um, and Jesus um, literally was saying, I'm going to change the world, okay? God in the flesh, I'm going to change the world. How am I going to do that? Well, he looked at these 12 and he said this simple phrase, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So we're just going to unpack that. There's three cool things you can see in Jesus Christ, what made him such an outstanding leader in that phrase. And the first one is, he said, come, follow me. So what Jesus was inviting them into was relationship. That's mm -hmm. the first thing. If you're going to be an outstanding leader, it has to be about relationship. Yeah, which is not a surprise. I mean, we serve a God who at his core is all about relationship. Um, you know, and... And honestly, for me, this parenting thing, back in the day when Mariah, our firstborn, was a, a week old or whatever, I remember holding her absolutely terrified because I had no idea what I was doing. And a really good friend of mine just looked at me and said, don't worry, this is a relationship. You will grow together and learn together. And that is true today as it was almost 17 years ago. It's a relationship. And God beautifully models this for us. We didn't have a specific passage to read you about this because it is literally the entire Bible. In the beginning, God created in his image people to have fellowship with him. He walked with Adam. Moses was a friend of God. David knew God's heart. And over and over in Revelation, we know that in um, chapter 3, if you open the door of your heart to the Lord, he comes in and has fellowship with you. We have fellowship with each other, First uh, John 1, 9. It's over and over and over again, and that word fellowship is intimate sharing. So really, okay, bring this home to parenting. Susie, land the plane. Um, <laughs> when you are leading princes when you are drawing the royalty out in your kids, that has to happen in the context of a relationship that is real and vulnerable and intimate. Everything else we're going to talk about today um, really falls to the wayside if it doesn't start with relationship. Now, last week when we were talking, a, a good friend of mine challenged me on this, um, we were talking about boundaries and struggling with boundaries with our kids. And one of the things I said is that boundaries that we establish relationally are there not to be brick walls, but to be fences where people are able to cross our boundaries and come in. And he said, wait a minute, you can't cross my boundaries. Like if I set a boundary and you cross it, that's 
violating our relationship and our friendship, right? Let me clarify, because I think this is important for today. David and I do not have cinder block walls surrounding our home because we actually want to know Larry and Connie Madden who live next door. We actually want to have a relationship with our neighbors. So even though we have boundary lines of what we're responsible for and what they're responsible for, we invite them in and they invite us in. And that's true in our relationship with our kids. To Know As We Are Known, a great book that David has talked about in the past, talks about true knowledge, really knowing each other um, is an exchange. I know David because I have let him into my life. He knows me because he has let me into his life. Um, Think about it this way. I'm responsible for my desires, my dreams, my body, my attitudes. That's my property. But if my kids don't have access to know my dreams, my desires, my thoughts, my feelings <clears throat> on any given day, then there is a brick wall between us. So everything we're going to talk about today is in the context of me being available to my kids. Do they know your dreams? Do they know your heart? Do they have access to you to know your thoughts? And um, there's a lot of ways to apply this, but specifically today we want to encourage you to take the time that you need with your children and with the people you lead. And it's not just time going about your day, which Jesus did walking through the fields, but it's specific, initiated, intentional time. Yeah, you know, it's, it's so Caleb, my son, he's... he's 12 and seventh grade. And I, I just remember, y'all, all you guys remember being in junior high? <laughs> so this is a huge season. And so I've just been praying, like, God, what do you want me to do? And, and what do I, how do I, yeah, just how do you want me to parent this, this one son of mine? And the clearest thing I felt like God was saying to me was spend time with him. Spend time with him. Spend time with him. Even if you don't know what to do, spend time with him. Because we're together. I mean, like Susan, we're, we're spending time with our kids, but it has to really be intentional time. Mm-hmm. Because, again, if they're going to know David, if Caleb is going to know David and be known by David, it just takes time. It takes close, being close enough for David to observe Caleb's heart, to know when he's down, to know when he gets excited about something, and for Caleb to observe David's heart. How does dad handle these things? What does dad feel about stuff? That takes time and proximity. And the other thing that it does for our kids is it gives them a sense of security so they can open up. They have to know, because they have time with us, that we're, we're safe people and that we will not abuse them, squelch them, or um, criticize them for the things, the treasures that they bring out of their heart to share with us. So again, so just to close this off, think about it. God himself came down. He said, I'm going to change the world, and here's how I'm going to do it. You 12, you're hanging out with me. Mm-hmm. That was it. You're going to hang out with me. Okay? So it's got to be about relationship, all right? But then he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. So the second thing is if you're going to lead anybody, you got to have a vision. So Jesus had a vision for these guys. And he's like, here's what I'm going to do. You are going to become fishers of men. 
you know, we tend to think of fishers and men, pastors, ministers, people who are out there being evangelists, but really and truly, Jesus's heart for your children, no matter who your children are, is that they would have an impact on the lives of men and women yep. around them. Kids now, other children, and men and women in the future. Look at it this way. Whether they write lyrics or prescriptions, whether they manage people or technology, whether they build roofs or build organizations, raise kids or cattle, whether they serve time or serve coffee, whether they teach the Bible or they teach science, it doesn't matter. God's heart is the same. His desire for them is to invite them into an opportunity with their life to be catchers in the rye, to rescue people, to bring people who are far from God into an opportunity to know him through their life, no matter where they are or what they're doing. And you have the opportunity to join God in that vision for their life. And too many times I think we're focused on the mundane little things, but the heart of God for them is what he's inviting you into. Yeah, because if, if you follow Christ, that's what a disciple was. It says, you're going to look like Jesus. That's what he goes. Like, so our mission here is to invite every one of you into the adventure of following God. Because when you follow him, then you actually really get to know him. And what you find out is Jesus is all about love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love each other. That's it. It's about relationship. But here's the other thing, though. There is a unique vision, though, that each one of our kids have, that anybody that you leads has. And I know for me, that was actually before I even had kids, I was super excited about that. I couldn't wait to have a kid and be able to go, oh my goodness, I can't wait to discover who God made them to be. I can't wait to help them discover who God made them to be and then come alongside them. That, it was just, I was super excited about that. And part of it is, this scripture here, Psalm 139, says this. Talking up, David's talking about God, says, you created my inmost being. Okay? We're talking your DNA. We're talking, why do you have the personality that you have? Why do you have the wiring that you have that's just different than everybody else? It's because God actually created it. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully, wonderfully made. Your work's wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Dads and moms, that's what you got to believe about your kid. And so the vision that we're talking about is not the vision you want to have for their life. Like our job as good leaders is to discover the vision that God had when he knit them together, the inmost, innermost being of your child. And again, or if you lead anybody else, you want to look and discover who has God actually created them to be. And I, I know for me, talking a little bit more about Caleb, it was so funny. When, when he was born, I mean, like when he was two or three years old, I don't know about you, if you walk over into our preschool place, most two or three-year-olds grab a crayon, right? Mariah and Ashlyn did. You grab a crayon and you just kind of go like this, right? You, you'll get your little, your mom and dad's, right? You're going to pick up your kid and they're going to have the little craft they came home with and it's just going to be. And Caleb, when he was two or three, he actually held the crayon correctly and colored within the lines, now, now, yeah, seriously, like, so when you see a little kid doing that, your antenna should go up, right? And now all of a sudden you should go, why do you, as a two-year-old, 
actually color in the lines and hold the Klan right. To, you know, like to play football, right? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, seriously, right? Because is it your vision or is it God's vision for your kids? And so just this week, I grabbed Caleb's phone and I looked at it and I, and I clicked it. And he had this photo that he took uh, on a screenshot from his camera. And you know what it was? It was of the spring in our trampoline. And I'm so bummed because it wasn't on his phone anymore because I wanted to show it to you. It was the coolest, most artistic picture. I mean, how many of you would take a picture of a spring on a trampoline in the first place? <laughs> and how many of you could actually make it look cool, right? And, and, so, and so then I, I downloaded, when we went, to, we went to Europe this summer, and Caleb was all into this taking pictures and stuff. And so I downloaded his pictures, and I'm just going to be totally honest with you. I took lots of pictures too, and none of mine are cool. <laughs> and, 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 and Caleb's, it's like every time you're like, why did you, how did you see that? The, how'd you get that perspective? What's happening? See, God is opening my eyes to the vision of who he created him to be, who he knit him together in his mother's womb to be. You guys, that's what we need to look at. And it's such a huge honor and privilege to be able to say, if you're an outstanding leader, I'm going to discover God's vision for your life, and I'm going to help you help you discover it too. And um, this is really cool because just like there are things like this artistic, creative nature or athleticism, there are things we can recognize in our kids because of what they do and how they do it. But there are also things deep in the heart of our children that we can't see yet, that the world has yet to see, and God is the only one who sees them. And when I was a young mom. Um, well, I was a mom with young kids. I don't I was never a young mom. Um, <laughs> um, I was very, very, very much struggling with um, being a mom. Uh, I called it the dark tunnel for the first seven years. It was hard for me. And part of the reason it was so hard is I was comparing myself to other moms. We all do that, moms. And um, it just felt so hidden, so discouraging, so dark. The things I saw other moms providing for their kids, like structure, um, <laughs> number one, um, I was not able to do. And, and I struggled with that. I felt like a failure. And I'll never forget the day, um, just an ordinary day. I was changing Caleb's diaper. And the girls were there, you know, they were uh, two and four. And um, just out of the blue, I felt the spirit very clearly impress on my heart. These three kids are going to be better, the better leader, writer, and evangelist than you will ever be. And it changed me. It kind of took me aback because that's who I am. I, I write, I lead, I lay my life down for people far from God. And what God gave me a glimpse into in that moment is almost like he's saying, yeah, you do that, and you are created to do that, Susie. But I've called you to be the mom of these particular three children, and I've put that in you because I want to put it in them. There is something in my kids that is awakened by who I am. And so, parent, take courage. If you're a parent, then you know you're the one God is asking to be this kid's parent. And there's something in you 
that is in you because he also wants to put it in them and awaken it in them. And what a privilege and what a joy that that is in partnering with God. And yeah, I never got great at giving them structure. Mm. And some of you are giving kids the gift of structure <clears throat> because that's what they're going to need most mm. in the life that he's created them for. Whatever it is, rejoice in that and do it with your heart, your whole heart. And so there's a great example in scripture where, where Paul uh, has a young uh, guy <laughs> named Timothy, right? So it's this whole principle. Like he's figuring out how he, Paul is an outstanding leader as well. So he's leading Timothy so that Timothy will lead others. Look at, look at what he says. There's a couple of things just to apply what we've just been talking about. He says, Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through the prophecy when the body of elders laid their hand on you. So, he, so obviously, Timothy had this gift, public reading of Scripture, preaching, and teaching. And so Paul says, don't neglect it. Now, this is super important for us because when, to neglect, the word means to make light of, to be careless, and not to care. And so as a leader, as a parent, the one thing that we must do is help our children not neglect their gift. Because there are way too many kids today. In fact, and the truth is, some of us sitting in this room, you, you know, you, you feel it. You go, I don't know if I've ever fully become who God really created me to be. And we got so many things, and it's the mundane stuff of life. It's TV, right? It's phones, it's games, it's chores, it's schoolwork. Next thing you know, we spend all of our days doing stuff that doesn't really matter, and you've neglected their gift. I shared this before, but man, my parents, they like made me do stuff I hated. Anybody else? They made me do stuff I hated. But you know why? Because they saw stuff in me, and they were going to make sure I didn't neglect it. Now, you know, here's the other thing. And why do we, even us in, sitting in this room, why do you neglect your gift? Why are you not fully thriving in the gift that God has given you and who he made you to be? I think many times it's because we lack confidence, because we fear failing, and because we don't believe we have what it takes. And I, I tell you, this is my brother Mark. He's seven years older than me, and his, his kids, I, I just, they're like, they're just awesome. <laughs> they're, they're, it's really frustrating. <laughs> but one of the things that's so cool about them is how confident they are. They're super confident. And Mark, even we, we were having the conversation, he's like, I don't know. He goes, I'm so insecure about myself. He goes, I'm not sure how they became so confident. But as we talked about it, we realized why. Super important. Mark, when I would go over there, when his kids were little, he was always giving them responsibilities and having them do stuff that I'm like, what in the world? Why are you letting those kids do that? They can screw everything up. And you know what? He let them do stuff, and they developed an inner confidence that they still hold with them today. I just want to tell you, man, if you've got kids that are this little, start doing that now. I wish we would have done that more. Give more opportunity for them to fail, to try, and it'll help build their time, and they won't neglect their gift. And then Paul mm -hmm. tells Timothy this. He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of our hands. 
So parents, you got two responsibilities here, okay? Number one, make sure your kid is not neglecting their gift, okay? But secondly, once you discover what it is, right, fan that puppy into flame. And that means you get behind it. That means you resource it. And that means you believe in it and you encourage it. And I, I just know that for me right now, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Now with Caleb, it's like, man, this guy has an artistic gift. How do I fan that in to flame. And if you're a great leader, that's one of the things that you'll do. That's what Jesus did. And I just want to say that again. He's so, side note, he so wants to fan yours into flame too, man. Mm-hmm. He is your leader. He is your outstanding leader. And he knows why he made you, okay? So, outstanding leaders, relationship, vision. And then the third thing he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Come follow me and I'll make you that. He actually trains them, all right? So now let's talk a little bit about training. And uh, I've talked for a long time, and I'm still supposed to talk. Going. All right. Yep. Here it's we awful. go. So three different ways, if you look at the life of Jesus, there's three different ways that he trains. Okay? The first one, pretty quickly, you instruct. Okay? You, just, you see Jesus in Matthew 11. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. So Jesus was always teaching them. And so if you're a good leader, you're teaching. And if you're parenting, you've got to be teaching your kids. You've got to tell them. Um, your teaching matters. In, in what areas? Finances, you guys, is a huge one. Are you teaching your kids? I remember Joe Mackey, he's our good friend back in Michigan. He helps us out with our finances. His kids are the same age as ours. And he kept challenging me, man, when, when our kids were this little. He's like, David, get this principle in them now. Just, just start it from the day they're born that they will learn and understand that 10% of theirs, of everything that they receive is God's. Just get that in there so that they, that they know that that's just what you do. It's like whatever God gives me, I give 10% back. And then help them to have the wisdom to save 10%. Kids, this is getting rid of that. I want this and just buy it. And I want that and just buy it. And I want this and can I have that? And you get 10%. It's like, no, you've got to put away for the future. That's good wisdom. And then the other 80% you're a good steward of. And this is so huge. Mariah got her first job this year, and it was so fun. So we're like, like okay, honey, you got a paycheck. Now, how are we going to do this? Now, the first thing, right, is the, I just want to remind you, before this all goes out, you got to take 10%, right, and you're going to give it back to God. And she goes, well, of course, Dad. Why, well, of course I would do that. See, now, why is she saying that? Just because when she was this little, every allowance she's gotten, that's just what she does. So you got to instruct them. You got to instruct them on hand. Here's a few other examples: how to handle bullies, right? <laughs> All through elementary school, over and over and over again, they come home and they're hurt, and people hurt people, hurt people, hurt people, hurt people. You guys, every kid that's hurting you or somebody else in your classroom, it's because they're hurt. Love that person, heal that hurt, and they won't hurt. Other stuff like how to load the dishwasher. Right? Yeah. Without chipping all the plates. <clears throat> that's, a, that's another really important thing to Which learn. Which we're still working on. <laughs> how to handle conflict. How do you engage with God? How do you instruct your kids in how to actually read the Bible in a way that they actually connect with God? And, 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 and this is so funny, you guys, because when I think about this, my dad built our house. The whole thing. He built it with his own hands, except for the electrical. He had some help with the electrical. And my poor wife is married to somebody who can't fix anything. And I sit there and I go, what in the world? How in the world did I grow up with a dad who can build a whole home by himself and I can't do anything? Now, he did build it when I was four. 
okay? So I probably wasn't very astute at that age, but there are some things I can do. My, I can paint, man. My dad was a school teacher, and in the summers, he would paint houses. So guess who else painted houses? Me. And my dad taught me how to do that. I'm actually one of these guys, I love to paint the trim I, I, because he taught me how. It's one of my favorite things to do. I know how to mow a lawn, man, because it took me all day to mow our lawn. I know how to cut wood because it, all these things, my dad, the stuff he instructed me in, I actually can do now. And the stuff he didn't instruct me in, I can't do it. <laughs> so it's just really simple, all right? Make sure you're telling your kids. And to segue Let me see. I didn't say, <laughs> sorry, I went away from my notes there for a second. Yeah, you were going to oh, share yeah, about yeah, that's the right. word disciple. So, so, okay, so transition here. Um, but information is not enough, okay? Information is never enough. I, I like one guy, he said, information, especially even for us, like you guys, you come to church and you get information, you can't, you'll never fully experience Jesus with just information. He said information is like going to a restaurant and telling people it's all about memorizing the menu and then go home and imagine what the food tastes like. <laughs> See, and, and uh, just to be honest with you, he, and the reason he's saying that is even on Sunday mornings, sometimes we, we get a lot of head knowledge. I think when we started K2, I was like, oh, I so don't want to be like that. I mean, I know so many people, they know the 12 disciples and they, they know the 10 commandments and they know all this knowledge, but they never actually experience God. So information alone is not enough. And here's what's interesting. In the Bible, when you says go make disciples, the, the, it's really interesting. The word disciple is hardly ever used after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's, it's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, it's Jesus and his life with a, it's disciple is used. You know why it's not used anymore? Is because <clears throat> discipleship meant rabbi and, and uh, disciples. And that's a Jewish concept. <laughs> And so when the, when the gospel started to spread and going all over the world, like disciples, nobody even knew what a disciple was. So guess what word you will find when you read the Bible and you get past the gospels, guess which word you're going to find? Child. You know why? Because in that day and age, you had someone who would take care of your kids for the first 12 years, first 11 years, and they'd teach them reading, arithmetic, all the, the, the basics. And then at age 12, you handed them over to the parent and the child lived right at the shoulder of the parent, and they learned. So here's the second thing that Jesus did, right? He instructed them, but then there was imitation. He was telling them, but then he was showing them. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to be a great leader, and especially with your kids, you've got to be showing them. they got to imitate. Mm -hmm. So we're training them not just through what we tell them, but what we show them. And this, that's terrifying, actually. Um, let's look at some of the things Jesus showed his disciples. John 13, 13 through 15, the Last Supper. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Um, it's just natural that the things you see the person you love most doing, you're gonna learn to do. Mm -hmm. And Jesus showed his disciples, I am here to serve. And it's only natural right that you should serve 
as I've served you. He went on, uh, John 13, 33 through 34, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. Oh, the brief 18 years that we have with our children. I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I'm going, you can't come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. They knew how to love. When the Spirit came upon the church in Acts and people saw them, they knew they had been with Jesus because they knew how to love. As I have loved you, Jesus said, so love one another. He showed them how to love and how to serve, and they did that really well. Um, and then we find uh, the same principle of imitation at work in the ministry of Paul. Writing to the church in Corinth, Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Okay, follow my example. I have always read that and thought, Paul had the audacity to tell people to follow his example. Like that is, that's haunted me a little bit. Um, you know, there's the big joke, do as I say, not as I do. That is a joke for a reason, but it's not funny. Um, people, children will do what we do. And um, if we don't feel like we can look our kids in the eye and say, follow my example, because I'm following Christ's example, then by the grace of God, we have the sweet gift to go into the presence of God and into his throne room and ask him to make us the kind of people he wants us to be so that we can look them in the eye and say that. What are the, some of the things that, that we hope to teach our kids? Um, because at the end of the day, they will imitate us. Can we show them how to pursue their dreams by pursuing our own? Can we show them how to handle failure because we all fail by handling our own failure really well? Can we show them how to humbly ask for forgiveness by asking for theirs when we need it? Can we show them how to do all these things, how to follow Christ, how to be disciplined with our time, not because we tell them, but because that's who we are? Again, as we've said every single time in this series, press into God. Let him make you who he wants you to be because that is a life of love and service and generosity and humility. And that is absolutely what we want our kids to take on as a result of being in our life. So he says, instruct, tell them. And then he says, there's imitation. You got to show them. And then the third thing is innovation. This one is, I, I learned from Mike Green, uh, a great teacher. This is a fascinating how Jesus does this. And if you're a great leader, you, the word is you allow them. Mm -hmm. So you teach them and you show them, but then you allow them. So in John 14, 12, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. And then he says, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. What? <laughs> like greater things than Jesus? What's he saying? He goes, well, listen, if you actually believe in me, then you've heard me teach, 
You've seen what I do, but now I'm actually going to empower you. And, and he is, I've never, I don't think he ever meant that you're going to do better things than he did, but here's, what, here's how it's going to be greater. He's going to fill me with his spirit so that I can do the things that Jesus does. And he's going to fill Susie with his spirit so she can do the things he does. He wants to fill every one of you with his spirit. Now, now how great would it be if instead of one guy filled with the spirit of God was changing the world, if hundreds of us were? Right? So that's what he's talking about. But look at this. The way that happens is because he gives you his spirit. And when you have his spirit, God is going to, there will be innovation. Okay, here's a, here's a great story, I think, of how this works. In Acts chapter 19, um, Paul is in Ephesus, right? He's in the town of Ephesus. It's where we get the book Ephesians from in the Bible. And it says, Paul entered the synagogue, and he spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Now, why did he go into Ephesus and teach in the synagogue? You know why? Because that's what Jesus did. Every time he went into the town, he taught in the synagogue. And that's what the other apostles did, is when they went into a town, they taught in the synagogue. It says, but some of them became obstinate, and they refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. So he's teaching in the synagogue, but now they're shutting it down. So what's he do? He's like, I don't know what to do. Because that's what Jesus did. He just, he spoke in the synagogue, and I guess I'm done. No. Instead, it says, he took the disciples with him, and he had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. See, what happened? Paul innovated. See, he knew, okay, this is getting shut down, but he had the Spirit of God, and he's a leader now. He was led well, and part what, what happens when you are led well is you realize, I can do things. I can follow the Spirit and do what he asked me to do. It says that yeah, this went on for two years so that all of the Jews and all of the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. You guys, look, look at this. When he was speaking in the, in, the, in the synagogue, it says he entered the synagogue and he spoke boldly there, arguing persuasively. So he's arguing, he's bold. Why? Because that's where the Jewish people were. And he was trying to convince them of this. But then when he went to the lecture hall, it says he had discussions daily. See, he changed what he was doing. Why? Because now it wasn't just the Jews. The Jews and the Greeks were there. Now he's hanging out with all these people who have no Jewish background at all. And so he changes the way. He, instead of boldly speaking, he's having discussions. He's honoring the different beliefs that they have. You guys see this? See, this is what's going to happen. If you lead your kids well, they're going to do something different than the way you've done it. And you allow them to. This is what God does with well. He just says, do this and follow me, and amazing things will and happen. And they're going to need to. Because just like Paul was in a different world, hmm. our kids are growing up in an incredibly different world than yeah. we grew up in. So we have to trust that they're going to hear from Jesus because we don't know how to. I never had a cell phone at age 12 with an internet on it. Like, we didn't have computers. That's how old I am. <laughs> I still used a typewriter in college. So I have to trust the Holy Spirit of God to show my kids how to live this life. I can give them what I can, but they're going to, we need them to innovate. Yeah, go for it. All right. And, and because we need them to innovate, we need them to grow and flourish. Um, really, and this has been, I think, a point all the way through the series it really comes down to we have to be able to die to ourselves, Because they're going to make decisions 
that are directly opposed to what I think is the best thing for them. Eventually, if they submit themselves to Christ, those decisions will be exactly what they need. And I may think they're wrong. It may take them to, like my friend Kathy, to Vietnam. Um, it may take them into the slums somewhere where I don't think they're safe. I don't know what it means, but I need to die to my own ideas for them. And I need to die to myself enough to help them meet Jesus in that way. Um, and the only way that I, as a human being, have the strength and the humility to do that is Jesus, the humble one who died for me, lives in my heart because I opened my heart up to him when I was 13. And he's the one who has whispered in my heart all these years since, die to yourself. Let someone else live. Let me live through you. And that's what we're going to celebrate now together. Yeah. So we're going to go ahead and move into our final, uh, final part of our... By the way, Susie Lee, would you give her a round of applause for joining Thank us you. for these last four weeks? Thanks so much. It's been so good.